0: welcome back to moments that matter today is a very big day for two reasons reason number one is that paul and i are recording together for the first time in person since maybe 18 months ago
1: yeah something like that we're
0: reunited and it feels so good i gotta be honest and the second thing is that we have the wonderful opportunity to chat with a pastor, speaker, church planter, colleague, and dear friend of us both, Reverend Natasha Dongel. Natasha is currently laying the foundation of a new church plant, Follow Church, launching officially in 2022 from her home church here in South Carolina. She's married to the wonderful Reverend Brent Dongel, professor of student ministries here at Southern Western University, and is mom to the three sweetest girls in the whole wide world. Natasha's love for Christ is infectious, and her life truly is a testimony of one lived in deep relationship with God. Uh, Her commitment to reaching others with the full counsel of the gospel has taken her on grand adventures, both here at home and abroad around the globe, but perhaps none as exciting as the one upon which she currently embarks. Natasha, thank you for joining Moments That Matter today. Welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: We had an opportunity uh, a few months ago. To talk and you introduced sort of um, what's behind Follow Church. So you're embarking as a church planter, which is uh, a mammoth task, really. Um, but let's go back in time where you originally sort of had the idea for Follow Church. What was the moment that stopped you in your tracks and sort of created this thought, this idea of a targeted population that you're really moved by and how maybe that would factor into the church?
2: Hmm. Oh, Scott, that's such a good question and um, the answer, I, I feel like it was more of an evolving uh, journey than one specific moment. So sometimes I kind of point back to growing up in Canada. And my sort of young adult years, um, early on in my ministry education, and then uh, early on in our ministry there up in Canada, um, just a lot of uh, that was sort of the mass exodus of the millennials, you know, leaving the church. And so, so many of uh, the people that either I went to church with or that I, you know, studied ministry alongside with, um, yes, yeah, so many of them, and some of the stories were really heartbreaking. You know, a lot of them didn't just leave the church. You know, they left their faith, and then they left their their spouse, they left their families. You know, there was a lot of devastation in a lot of those stories. Uh, so I, I think I just was watching. I was, I was observing. Um, my, uh, I was with my late husband in ministry there at the time and, you know, we would wrestle ourselves with, you know, are, are we doing the right thing? You know, serving at, we were at this Baptist church up there in Nova Scotia and, you know, just kind of had our own underneath wrestle, but just always, you know, we loved the church and, you know, we were, um, we had no desire to leave, but just, you know, what's going on. We were just watching and wrestling and observing. Uh, and then I think what impacted me even more than that is uh, actually even in my own family, um, I have just such a wonderful family. Uh, there are four siblings and, uh, just each one of us had this really interesting, unique journey going from being raised, um, we were kind of this mixture of Baptist and then and, and Wesleyan. And um, there was a lot of kind of faith crisis that, you know, just this really different, uh, each one had this unique journey growing out of that sort of just kind of back in time, Christian narrative, you know, little Baptist church where we grew up you know, having our Sunday school and uh, two, kind of stepping out into a world that just looked really different, just was a lot, um, a lot different than than we thought. And so I watched um, even my family members go through just quite a spiritual journey. And we have such a great testimony as a whole family because every one of my family members uh, are so passionately serving the Lord. Um, so it's just been that's been beautiful. And I think my parents really exemplified this. My parents, even my grandparents had to change a lot in order to accommodate the journey that, that my brothers, you know, that just some of us had to go on. Uh, So I think they did that in a way that, that made space for the journey in a way that, you know, allowed it, um, to sort of move forward. Um, you know, I think it's only by the grace of God that, you know, any of us are, are anywhere, uh, serving the Lord. But, um, so I think all of those things and the friends and the colleagues just really put a lot of things in my heart of just like, God, what is going on? You know, what is happening here? And, and I think what I was seeing was it was not, people were not all the time trying to leave their faith they weren't trying to walk away from the lord so if they're not trying to walk away from the lord then what is happening you know <laughs> so it's one thing if these are just people walking away from the lord if these are people not trying to walk away from the lord then what is happening so that kind of led me into um just light research. I'm not nearly as smart as either of you. So uh, you guys are the experts, um, but just light research kind of digging into um, what is happening in terms of the paradigm shifts and the, you know, the global um, shifting that's taking place in this moment in history and, and how, how much are those changes playing into this gospel gap, you know, that we're encountering uh, with this emerging generation. And and so just kind of reading and, and listening uh, and just seeing, so then starting to see the potential of um, wow, I think actually God might be doing something new and it might actually even be wonderful. Uh, And so, but then how, you know, how do we move from here to there? Uh, so, it, yeah, I, so it was this evolving um, sense of learning and seeking and and then God, what somehow God, you called me to this. What does that mean? And what does that look like? So uh, I had these pivotal moments along the way. But, um, yeah, I think it's been this journey of serving the Lord in this time. Uh, and, and then being, especially in Canada, just really exposed to um, so much of yeah what, what we've seen happen in this kind of younger millennial and emerging generation.
0: Yeah, I you and I are of the same generation. I would also include Paul in that because he's generationally multilingual and has his finger on the pulse of all generations at the same time. But yeah. would you say that this population is are they the ones that are currently considering themselves ex-evangelical or sort of the deconstructionists? I have friends who are maybe demonstrating this sort of thing and uh, who have shared their stories on social media. I think that's where I've seen a lot of it now where people uh, hashtag things, the deconstruction or ex-evangelical. Is that sort of the population that you're referring to?
2: Um, to be honest, I uh yes and no to be honest there definitely would be a category i think so this is you know i'm not usually trying to categorize people like this so so just you know bear with me in that but i think there are people who you know they're they just they don't love jesus so so you know that okay then you don't love jesus you know so it's i'm more it was more the people who no i think they do love jesus I think they're confused, you know? And so to me, those are a little bit different. And I think in, uh, especially the millennial generation, um, I think you had a lot of people who came out, you know, and they don't love Jesus. <laughs> so, you know, there, some of those responses were, were like, yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's not you loving and seeking Jesus. That's something else. <laughs> so, so, um, again, I'm not meaning to, you know, obviously we can't see and draw those lines, but at the same time, um, I felt like God, you know, really kind of called me to the people who actually there's people who, um, and this, I think in, um, the faith for exiles book by David Kinnaman, when he wrote about kind of that 10%, these resilient disciples, that 10% who, um, it's, it's kind of like, no, against all odds, they still love Jesus. (laughs) So um, it's, it's a little bit those ones that I feel like, wow, there's just something neat happening. And I think there's a really special call on, on their life. And, um, and so that kind of led for myself um, to the moment where it was like the first time that I felt like I could put my call into words, which, you know, I I do share now openly, but it always feels a little weird to say, but for whatever reason, this just became the language of, it felt like the Lord said, yeah, I'm calling you to be a spiritual mother, to raise those people and they're scattered, you know, they're everywhere, but there are these disciples, there are these resilient disciples out there and they have a strong anointing and calling on their life. Uh, but they really need to be raised up in the Lord. they really need to be discipled and spiritually formed. And then, and then, you know, in a healthy way sent out. Uh, So that was, um, yeah, so I I think that's a little bit intangible (laughs) in the sense of nailing down a demographic. Um, but i think that that's still kind of where um you know i focus i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not chasing after disgruntled christians if <laughs> if i can put it that way i'm chasing after people on the other side of a global shift who are trying to figure out how to follow jesus today
1: people who maybe Want things to be different
2: mm-hmm. spiritually, yeah, I think um, you know when we when we think about that passage of scripture that talks about the the new wine and the old wineskins, um, you know definitely, I think theologically, you know we see that and know that as Old Testament and New Testament. But I do wonder, you know when it seems like through history we do come to these moments in time where, you know, I think, you know, maybe it's all the same wine. It's just Jesus, you know, so we're not, we're not changing the gospel. It's, it is the new wine that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, but still maybe something, you know, shifts enough in culture that we kind of need to create in a sense. We need to just maybe readjust the wineskin or, you know, however, whatever is the right way to say that. Um, so it, it, has felt like that for me it has it feels kind of like wow there's there's something of god you know in in these disciples but it maybe doesn't fit as much you know it's just a it's just an organizational uh, a structural difference or you know it just doesn't quite fit some of um what we, where we've been and, and what we've been doing. And it just might be because God's called them to do some new innovative things. That's for such a time as this.
1: Yeah. I think there's, um, kind of a general disaffection, Mm -hmm. you know, among millennials and Gen Z also, um, that goes way beyond the church, you know, um, way beyond their spiritual life. It's, it's literally every part of their life Mm -hmm. and, and, and the rewards of, the previous generations for doing the things that people have always done, like attending church um, and those sorts of things, uh, they just don't see the payoff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is this is the challenge that I'm finding. Uh, is okay. You you want to address this problem over here, you know, but the truth is, the problem is everywhere. And mm-hmm. how do you kind of broadly address? that disaffection and, and really encourage people is actually super important that you're involved, you know, uh, in these various institutions and, and things like this that have been kind of roundly yeah. rejected.
2: Yes. Yes. I saw, I hear that. I think, um, I think that's so, I think I, I think you're so right, which again, you're so much smarter than me. So I, <laughs> you, not hardly I'm you're all right. Um, but I, yeah, I think that that's where sometimes, yeah, the, the goal is not, this is, I think this is where there can be a tension because the goal is not to fully adjust to a new generation that may have some really unhealthy patterns and ideas, <laughs> you know, the goal is not to, fully adjust in a way that you compromise um, truth and godliness and, you know, and so what I I think is so powerful, I've really loved, I think this, this spiritual mother, you know, this language has been important to me because I feel like, no, there's still such an incredible need for the older generations, uh, but, but they kind of need to know how to come alongside and spiritually parent the next generation in a way that can can raise them up to where they have independence and the things that God's put in them can come out of them, but they absolutely they absolutely need guidance. You know, they absolutely need the wisdom of the older generations. And so, um, I think that that's you know one of the huge challenges um, in this time is is that generational gap. It can be so big and so hard to bridge. Uh, So I think that just I think that's going to take a lot of work, and I think Mm -hmm. that has to become there has to become a sense of urgency in the older generations, including me, Mm. to to have that kind of burden and passion for the lost that we're actually willing to do the work that I think it's going to take to pass the baton and to raise, you know, a a generation that, you know, they might be a little messy, you know, they Mm -hmm. might, they might have some, you know, wild out there ideas. They might, you know, and so, but knowing how to not shut them down, but the same way we do as parents come alongside and guide and, and sometimes, you know, discipline and create boundaries that, you know, but we're still empowering and we're still sending, so, yeah, that I think that's so good.
1: Um, you might appreciate this quote. This is from Parker Palmer. Uh, he says, many young people today journey in the dark as young always have. And we elders do them a disservice when we withhold the shadowy parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like something like you're talking about.
2: Yes, yeah. yes. Yes, that's so good, and yeah, I uh, you can let me know if I'm getting off track with you guys, but uh, that's actually so much my heart right there because I think that that is part of what has happened. Uh, I think that we really have compartmentalized our faith in such a way that um, we've kind of we've kind of we maybe have created a scenario that um, that the emerging generation. Um, I guess one of the ways I could word it is, you know, just the idea of, of hearing a sermon in church, but then actually just really knowing how to live that out. A lot of that stuff we learn by seeing, by it being demonstrated. So to have our discipleship kind of compartmentalized and then in, in that kind of discipleship compartment, it's quite knowledge-based it's not really equipping in it, but you're not getting the, So again, as parents, it's like, we can teach a whole lot of things, but we, our kids become what they catch from us more than what we've taught them. You know, <laughs> they're going to become the things we don't want them to become that, you know? And so I think that's the same truth in the church. I think that we maybe might teach a lot of things, but they, they're catching the stuff that's out in the world that um yeah i think i think we left a gap there if that mm-hmm. if that makes any sense
0: yeah yeah you described my sort of upbringing perfectly with that statement because the degree of faithfulness in christianity was equal to church attendance and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. sunday morning sunday school sunday morning service sunday night service and whatever we had on wednesday night was always the markers of a successful spiritual life, Mm. even though that could leave any sort of manner of vacuous um, longing and hunger for more. um, It was still just this very cerebral come together these four times per week. And as long as you check that off on your weekly box, then you're in pretty good shape. Uh, But I think it did create such an, an emptiness and a hunger for those wanting more who didn't know how to get it and didn't know um, where to look. And so you did a great job of of sort of putting your finger on those who, uh, that's the hunger and the desire they have. So enter the scene, follow church. Um, I feel like every era sort of has a, um, a movement to target those who have become outliers within Christianity and um, who need to sort of find their new way in response to this timeless message of Christ. What of this population that you've described, what do you see as their deepest needs spiritually? And how can Christ go about restoring those areas that maybe have been neglected?
2: Mm, Yeah, well, that's such a good question. Um, I do kind of focus on three that just have kind of, for myself, uh, framed a little bit of of our strategy and and approach. The first one is, um, you know, to say it. the most common way to say it is community. But what I more mean by that is um, having that that place where you build enough trust where you can be vulnerable and and in that vulnerability, um, building relationships that are uh, there's some depth to them. And so um, that one is really kind of tied to and almost, almost secondary in my, my view to the second one, which uh, actually is spiritual formation. Um, You know, I think that it actually breaks my heart the way um, what evangelicalism, you know, kind of looks like today and, or, you know, our reputation or because of how, how much you know, holiness and sanctification, what that actually is, is so beautiful. And that's what we bring. You know, we bring the testimony of this, this saving grace, a regeneration that you know, can lead to this sanctification that is this being perfected in love. And so I, I kind of simplify it um, when I'm talking about it, saying being made whole and being made holy that, that those things are kind of both happening in this process of spiritual formation. And I think there's, um, just such a need for us to kind of know how to uh, facilitate that. And then, you know, going back to that first one, it, it happens when we're in, um, in just good, healthy, uh, trusting relationships where we can be vulnerable, where we are, um, we're able to, you know, um, just go to some of those places and we know how to speak into each other's lives and, and encourage each other uh, in a way that, that leads us forward on that journey of being spiritually formed. So I think that, that sometimes our, our current setup makes that challenging. Um, you know, it's how everyone would, you know, it's hard to do that on a Sunday where it, it's not designed you know, to do that on a Sunday morning, which is not bad. That's okay. But I think, um, you know, and, and all pastors that I know, you know, they want so badly to have a thriving, you know, small group ministry or whatever, because of how much, you know, real discipleship happens in relationships. And, Um, so, but I think that it's awkward to go from the big setting sometimes and, and then trying to create that in the smaller groups just has become, you know, has been a challenge. Um, and so I think that there's just a very, a very, um, uh, kind of a different way of, of being together in a way that a lot that makes room for your soul that I think is just necessary, um, and knowing how knowing how to do that well, you know, I I feel like growing up there was such a fear of if you let somebody share, if you open the floor for testimonies or you know it's just going to be horrible. <laughs> People say the craziest things, and, you know, and so, um, but there has to be a way. I think in the church, in a way that makes space for the soul. Uh, in a way that makes space for spiritual formation to take place, a deeper level of spiritual formation. And so kind of the point of all of that leads me to the real thing, which is that I think that we, we need to see people look and smell and act like Jesus. I just think we need that to be more tangibly um, demonstrated and, and visible. And, and in that, I think there's this hunger for, um, a life that is, is not going to church, but it's, it is this life of on mission and it's by faith, you know, the things that we do in the Lord that only God can do, like there is no there's no other explanation for this, you know, random divine appointment encounter on the side of the road with this person that is now in tears because of how God, you know, there that those that way of life of kind of living like Jesus with this gospel presence in any and every conversation, being led by the Holy Spirit and And knowing, you know, the Holy Spirit's leading me to go say some crazy thing to this stranger, you know, not, not some crazy thing, but, but, you know, just being able to, to walk in faith so, um, so close to the Lord. Um, I just think that is so necessary and, and that I think that's what, um, so many are so hungry for is, I just want to strip everything else away. And I I want to see Jesus. I want to see us live like him. I want to see. And then I think when we make enough space, you know, when we are, when we're living so close to him, when we're, we're stepping into his rhythms and we're being spiritually formed so that we're living according to his nature. You know, we are new creations in Christ and it's his nature and his life at work in and through me. I think we have potential to, to really inspire the faith of this generation um, in a way that, you know, just brings glory to God. And, but I think it kind of has to be, it just has to be so really God And I think we have a lot more to die to ourselves, you know, (laughs) in order for that to really be what comes out of us is it's not actually my old flesh; it's actually the life of God in peace and in power, in a way that is only God, and it's nothing else um, that is able to flow through my life in a way that that no you know no one can deny, and it causes people to fall on their face in the same way as the new Testament. So, um, so yeah, I think, and then I, I guess with that, a, um, I think there is such a hunger for, I think that, uh, you know, so full disclosure, when I hear some incredible sermons about, uh, about mission and, um, but so often, They do still end with a sense of like, so sign up for the children's ministry, (laughs) you know, and so that's such a real need that I don't want to minimize that, you know, that like I need that all, you know, and that's a real, very, very real and important need, Um, but I think that we have to Flip our understanding and and really understand. No, these people they're ready to go launch. You know they're ready to take the world for Jesus, and so we have to actually empower that. So they it's we don't we can't keep them in our little corners. Like they're gonna go, and so um, they need to be sent on mission.
0: Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments, those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.